Hey everyone, welcome to Be The Change. My name is Lily Mott, and today I'm going to be talking about how change comes when everyone becomes an activist. I am really excited to share this conversation with you today because I think this guest is doing some inspiring work in the climate movement. Sersha Exton is a climate justice activist from Ireland, and she was appointed to the Youth Advisory Group to the United Nations Secretary General at the age of 17, which makes her the youngest youth advisor to the UN Secretary General. So without further ado, let's get started with this episode featuring Sersha Exton. I started climate activism in 2019 when I was 13 years old, um, and I started climate striking um, with Fridays for Future Limerick, which I founded. Um, and yeah, I think it was really weird at that point because previously I um, had never really been aware that politics was something that individuals could kind of get involved in. I remember there was a referendum like the year before in 2018 about giving um, people the right to have abortions um, and that it passed. And so it's enshrined in the constitution now that that's a right, which is amazing. Um, but I remember I, apparently I turned to my mother on the way home because we went and watched the count happening um, in a pub. <laughs> and I said, that was my feminist awakening. So um, I think very much like from that moment, like I said, I, I was looking for something to do. Um, and also just as a young person, you know, I, there's an element of, of like, how can I make some cool friends as well? <laughs> but I think that changed very quickly once I actually started to get involved and started striking because I became completely involved in the world um, of climate activism. Um, and I realized just how much of an issue it really is and how much it affects every single part of our lives and also I think how much people are willing to kind of forget about it especially here in the global north where it's not something we necessarily face uh, at the moment um, so yeah that was kind of how I started off um, but then from there I went into the Irish Second Level Students Union um, as a quality officer I was elected to that position two years in a row, um, and that really introduced me to the legislative side of advocacy. Um, so I dealt directly with policies and decision makers and that kind of thing. But I think I realized from that the, that you can't really have legislative activism without um, or advocacy without like collective action. And because of the issue is you have all the mechanisms for making change, but you don't necessarily have the desire, the appetite for change. Um, and especially as young people, I think it's really important that we're very critical of the systems we exist within, even if we're branded as idealistic, because uh, we have a lot of time to grow up and be, quote unquote, realistic. You know, I think at the moment we have the the freedom to be a little bit more ambitious. And sometimes what is branded as ambitious is and unrealistic is actually very realistic. It's just, yeah, we have to look at the status quo in the system in a very different light. Um, and yeah, more recently, um, I was selected to the UN Secretary General's Youth Advisory Group on Climate Change. And that has been a very, very interesting experience, very different from anything I've really done before. 
um, obviously at a completely different level in terms of like international advocacy, but also realizing that like I have to become a kind of conduit, a representative for the movements that I've been in and I continue to participate in. Um, And also just the realization that maybe the kind of hope that we put in the UN is not necessarily ill-placed, but misplaced, kind of. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's like a general summary of of who I am and how I've gotten to where I am now. That is so interesting. And I think it's so great to hear how your work started with this awakening and as this opportunity to meet cool people. And I, I think that's that's so great. And I think your work is interesting in the way that you're engaged in different types of climate change activism. You're working on legislation through your position with the UN. You're working on peaceful protest and demonstrations through your walkouts. And I've checked out your Instagram and you're also doing some activism on there as well. So I would love to get your take on the different types of activism and why you're choosing to do them I think you can't have like collective action without legislative advocacy and you can't have legislative advocacy being successful without collective action so I think on their own they they're they have their merit and they have their successful kind of elements but I do think the most powerful the most kind of power comes from when they're combined when you have either like a representative in government who takes the demands of the those um who are protesting directly to the government um and or or just someone who kind of is that that contact point um maybe someone who protests and who is also in government and i but at the same time you can't have like i think i've seen with the un for example that the, the, a lot of these people are leaders are, are quite disconnected from what people actually want. Um, so I think definitely having the combination of legislative advocacy and direct action is like a more direct democracy. Um, the other issue though is, is that the systems themselves in terms of legislation are broken. It's the same with like the legal system, the economic system. They're all broken and, and they, they're very much in favor of the wealthy and maintaining the status quo. So sometimes it's not actually really even possible to advocate in terms of legislation, um, not in a successful way. Like you can relentlessly chip away at it, but I don't know what the kind of success rate of it is. And of course, you have countries where just democracy is, doesn't even exist. So I do think it it is it does depend on the country and the situation on the the governmental system, and also I think how old like the government is, um, and how how obviously conservative the government is. So there are issues like there's not any one way to go about it. But yeah, I think definitely I've read a lot about how how like how powerful collective action is how. It's sort of like if you have this big chaotic group of people and they're expressing their anger and their frustration and they're upset, it does scare leaders a little bit in a good way. It does force them to make changes. And sometimes when you have organizations come in and and take over, um, the anger is viewed as improper in in decision-making spaces, like not professional, for example. And so it's kind of eroded away. And it's very difficult to hold on to anger if you do not protest, I think. I think it's very difficult to kind of be like, oh, this is the way that things are. And I, I kind of felt into that a little bit. For a while, I, I was like, oh, well, you know, we can protest, but it's, you know, at the end of the day, this is the way that things are done. And I really have changed my mind on that, I think, because 
there are different ways to like do things and there are there are alternatives to the current systems we have so i think we need people on the streets pushing and pushing and pushing putting pressure on people we need people who take those demands directly to leaders and change that in government and also we need people in in power who actually put pressure on on those more powerful than them to make the change so i think it's like very much a combination um and yeah in terms of social media just very quickly i have i don't really know what i think about it because i think it's very difficult to like prevent yourself from kind of falling into um sort of influencer activism you know where you just take a photo and you're like went to this thing look how great I am <laughs> um so but uh, it's also a great communication tool um so I think we have to figure out a way to use harness the power of social media to be a kind of centralized kind of vault of information for just everyday people while also not you know not falling prey to the attention economy so yeah that's my opinion <laughs> Yeah, thank you for touching on that. And I think it's such an important topic to explore as far as how activists can be the most effective and make the most change, given that so many people have limitations on their time, maybe on their finances, maybe they're limited by where they live. So often, I think social media can be used as a really important tool. I think my favorite question to ask lately has been about the changes that my guests would like to see in their own communities and their countries around the world, because I think it's great to be able to learn about specific issues that may be impacting different parts of the world. What are some of the issues in Ireland or maybe in Limerick more specifically that you've seen that you'd like to change? So I think in Ireland, one of the biggest issues we face is with farmers. So there's a, a kind of difficult battle that we have at the moment because farmers are one of the strongest kind of, if not the strongest lobbying groups in this country. And rightfully so in, in many ways, you know, they, they secure our food security. We, we have a lot of imports that are, you know, beef, for example, and other um, crops and livestock, um, sorry, exports um, and imports, but exports probably more important in terms of Irish farmers, the issue is the I think about 25% of carbon emissions are from the agricultural industry. So it's it's a big problem, you know, like it's a very unsustainable industry. Um, and the issue is the current government's policies are very much not necessarily anti-farmer, but um anti-just transition. And so that creates a lot of animosity within the farm farming community because they don't they don't like any kind of climate action so you know i'd have farmers that i've met basically telling me to shut up because it's not like it completely ruins their their livelihood and i understand their anger and their fear about it because like i said it's not being done properly at the moment um but the issue is there's not really anybody in the government who's trying to communicate with farmers or who's trying to actually provide a just transition, you know, alternatives to our current unsustainable farming practices. I think we do need to assess like how many cows we have in this country um, and how much meat we eat, um, both as individuals, but how much we export. Uh, we need to assess land use and whether we can improve the use of land to ensure that it's more regenerative. Um, we need to assess the amount of nitrate fertilizers we use. We do need to assess these things. The issue is how do we do it without causing 
massive economic harm to farmers. And well, and also a big issue with farmers as well is that not an issue, but something we have to protect is the fact that farming has a very long history here in Ireland. It's a part of our culture, both like going back thousands of years. Um, there's a site near where I live called the Burren, and a couple of years ago, they they were trying to protect the local flora there because I think something like thirty percent of like native uh, wildflowers in Europe are found there or something like that, some massive percentage. And so it's a really important site. And so they said that farmers couldn't graze cattle there. But what they actually found is that farmers had grazed cattle there for so long that it was almost like they weren't needed in the ecosystem. So like the grass took over everything and choked out all the flowers. So the cows had actually been maintaining the flowers there. So I do think it is something that we have to consider and that we're not really considering. And the government's taking the kind of easy way out with just saying like, let's just destroy farming livelihoods. And that, like I said, is creating a lot of animosity, um, both towards people like me, um, because I'm I'm associated with any kind of climate policy, even if I don't necessarily agree with it, and towards, like I said, any any climate policy. Um, so if there's there's like a big movement against wind turbines, for example, both because they're ugly and supposedly they lower land value, which isn't true, but that would probably be the biggest issue here as a whole. And where I live, it's very close to Limerick City. So like it's about 30 minutes away, which in any normal like big city would probably be the suburbs, but it's only 100,000 people. So <laughs> it's not that many. I would say Limerick's a fairly progressive city. Um, Very much like I think definitely the strikes in, in the city really inspired a lot of people to become interested in the climate crisis and so there's there's a lot of like movements to you know with personal kind of contributions to the climate crisis one of the big issues we have in a lot of urban areas is the lack of public transportation it's absolutely terrible in this country one of the worst in the eu despite the fact that we still have one of the highest gdps in the world and so basically like we have Dublin gets like all the funding and the this public transport there isn't even that good for the population but like compared to everywhere else it's so much better you know like Dublin has you know the tram system it has the dart which goes out is like a local train system we don't have that like at all we have buses that always come late and then if you're lucky there's a train I think where I live if I get in the car and drive for seven minutes there's a village um, where I can get the train and that's what I did but there's two trains a day so if you miss like one of those trains you're you have to drive in in the end you have no alternative because the buses like leave at exactly the same time as well anyway it's really frustrating um, and it's an issue both rurally and in in the urban areas but I think more so in, in urban areas because a lot of people commute and a lot of people live in the city center so th I, those I feel like are the two biggest kind of climate issues and they're more I think they're, they're more about mitigation rather than adaptation, because as I was saying, luckily, Ireland at the moment doesn't experience a lot of catastrophic kind of climate events. We will as the years go on, because everywhere will. But I think we're very well placed in terms of like climatic events. But yeah, those would be the two big ones, I'd say.
That's so interesting. And thank you for sharing that explanation about public transport, because I think that's such a varying topic around the world. Like in the UK, my experience with public transport has been great because I'm from the Western US where we have very, very limited public transport. So it's interesting to learn about your community. I have one more question for you. Lots of young people want to create change, but they may not know how to get started with that work. What advice do you have for those people who may be listening? I think a big thing, I think it's like three main things. The first, which is probably the most, no, that's not true. I was going to say like the easiest to do, but that's not true, Um, is educating yourself. I think it's really important to like read up about the climate crisis to follow the news, to make sure that, you know, your understanding of the world is not necessarily informed by the media cycle. It's very difficult to do that. Um, But there are really great books that I feel like helped to inform me and two of the ones that really changed my perspective on on this especially in terms of economics are um, Less is More by Jason Hickel and Donut Economics by Kate Rayworth they're both amazing books very very um, accessible in terms of their language um, and they really helped me to understand the systemic issues in terms um, with like the reason why we have a climate crisis the links it has to um, poverty um, to inequality in general and the reason why we have to kind of destroy capitalism, not kind of, absolutely destroy capitalism. <laughs> um, so I think educating oneself is really important. Um, but also the second one I would say is if there's any local movement groups, we need everyone to be an activist. So if you can join a protest, if you can join an action, I think that is really valuable. Um, it's really important to make sure that that we are still that, that we're visible as still being interested and we've lost a lot of momentum over the last couple of years as a movement and I think it's really important to start getting that back again um and we just need people protesting we need numbers <laughs> if, even if all you can do is be a body that's really important um and then the last thing I would say would be if you live in a country where you can vote vote um voting is the most important thing that any of us can do if we live in a democracy. Um, I know in some places it's compulsory to vote, but not in Ireland. And a lot of young people do not vote. And so we get the same governments and it's not representative government because it doesn't represent the entire population. It represents a very specific part of it. So I think it's really, really important that, that because, because ultimately like, we are going to have to exist within the confines of the current system, at least up to a certain point. And voting will hopefully ensure that we have governments that actually maybe possibly listen to us. Um, and I think it's worth giving it a try anyway. It's better than having a government that is not ever, ever going to listen to us. So I think voting is is the single most important thing we can do. I learned so much from this conversation with Sersha, and I love her advice that she shared. It is so important for each of us to try to make the world a better place, and that really does look different for everyone, but we can all do it in some way. Making change can be sharing information on social media, attending a protest, calling or meeting with your legislator, or, as Sersha mentioned, and this is the most important one, heading to the ballot box and voting. I think we can all keep Sersha's advice in mind and think about how we all can make the world a better place because change comes when everyone becomes an activist.
Thank you so much for listening to this episode. And you can find Sersha on Instagram at Sersha underscore Exton to get connected with her. If you want to talk about anything I mentioned, please reach out to me by email at lily at bethechangepodcast.org or on Instagram at bethechangepodcast. Tune in for my next episode, but until then, be the change you wish to see in the world. Bye, guys.